0: One of the things we thought we'd see happen on Sunday nights is uh, more training opportunities. And uh, uh, we're going to have one of those tonight. Um, And we want to see them happen more frequently. So if you have it in your heart, you want to learn how to prepare uh, a message that would feed people and and, uh, be willing to do that. We'll give you the opportunity. Tonight we'll do a little training. And uh, it's for men, women. Uh, young people, children. Um, Grant was, I think, 12 years old when you gave your first sermon at Wellspring and something like that. I think so. Probably still have a tape of that somewhere. That'd be interesting to find, wouldn't it? Uh. Um, And so we're going to do one tonight. Uh, Tim Craver's here. Tim has been coming. It's been just around a year. Um, We had just opened this place. You might have been here the first or second week or something Real close after we got we got open because uh, we uh, nothing was quite running and working and, and uh, so Tib and Jen they've been coming with their family and they sit over here and and uh, they've just been watching and being part of us and I'm grateful for them. Then his mom and dad have uh, started showing up a little bit here. So this is Myrna and this is Dwight and they're from up in the Farmington area. And uh, they come in tonight to support Tim. So we're giving him a uh, 15-minute opportunity to speak. And that sounds like a a short time. Actually, what we'd normally do is a five-minute sermon because that's really hard. It's really hard to teach something substantial in five minutes. It's not impossible, but it just takes a lot more discipline. We thought we'd give Tim uh, an easy road tonight and give him a little bit more time. So, Tim, come on up and share what's in your heart. And... uh, and I'll, I'll share after you. Okay. Why don't you go right up there?
1: I'm humbled to be up here. Really am humbled. Oh, right here. Okay. I'm really humbled to be here, guys. Really am. Um, it's uh, kind of funny. It really is. So, um, for again, my name is Tim Craver. I've been coming here for about nine months now. Uh, with my uh, wife and five kids. And there's one thing I've learned throughout this thing is that uh, if I can take five kids to church by myself, I can do anything. <laughs> so the um, past three years has been a really crazy trip for me. Um, and my dad had to give me a verse, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. But uh, one of the things about that verse is that we are our own worst enemy when it comes to that verse, because we we can actually hinder ourselves from God's plan. And uh, some things I've recognized in the past nine months, uh, the certain truths to that. And uh, truth is many things I have found in my personal experience that I'm going to give you. Um, things to, uh, to back it up with, that um, truth hurts. The truth reveals. And the truth will hold us accountable, either by God or man. But most importantly, the truth will set us free. And we know that by uh, John 8:32. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, uh, but I'm going to start in the very beginning. I had not been a part of church in 20 years, I have I've never lost my faith in God, lost my faith in the church. And I started to feel the Lord knock at my heart, telling me I need to go back to church. And I said, "Nah, I'm good. I'm good. And um, and the, the irony is, is that uh, the Lord was really knocking at my heart. And I said, Lord, okay, Lord, if you want me to go back to church, I, you have to find me a church. And uh, when you give God uh, a challenge like that, he's going to answer it. And I believe I said that literally as I was driving past here. Okay. And, and then I think oh, a couple of days later my wife goes, hey, by the way, there's a church going in over here. I was like, huh, funny, huh? So, and then, so we ended up having Hannah. And the Lord started to really knock at my heart again. You got to go back to church. I said, no, I'm good. Thank you. And then I was pulling on my driveway on my way to work, and, I, and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, "Do you want to be responsible for your children ever to see heaven?" And I very foolishly said, "Well, they have a choice to serve you." And I got uh, Proverbs 22:16, and this was trained. The verse is "Train up a child," but I got "Train them up in the way that they should go." And uh, so, pretty much, I was giving my children only one choice. You know. And uh, it was a really a uh, gut-wrenching moment for me that I was um, uh, failing my children as a father because uh, the truth reveals, and the, the, the Lord held me accountable right there and then. And I said, um, okay, I'll do it. And the next day I went to my wife and said, I'm going to take five kids to church by myself. She goes, hey, guess what? I have Sunday off. And she hadn't had Sunday off in months. Coincidence? I don't think so. So, and from there, this uh, crazy rollercoaster of a ride just uh, began for me because, again, we get in our way of what God wants for us. So, um, I went to, certainly after, in, uh, we there was a, a, a night meeting I had attended, and the Lord started peeling me back like an onion, really started to do work on my heart and the Lord had given me Jeremiah 51, 20. I'm not going to really go into it right now, but I just said, I'm good, thank you, and I closed the Bible. And uh, it was, and it just kind of stuck around in my head, really stuck around in my head. And so, <sighs> and then the Lord started to press on my heart to attend another overflow meeting, and I really felt the Lord say, you, you really need to do this. And I was like, eh, I'm good. And he's like, no, you got to do it. I'm like, oh. So I came, and uh, the spirit was really flowing, and I, I got really tore up pretty good, yeah, really convicted. And uh, I had been dealing with uh, uh, this. I worked for the Canandaigua Winery. on the second shift doc, doc foreman, and um I've been dealing with the issue of upper management telling me I'm too blunt, and by that they mean I speak truth and I hold people accountable to a flaw. And uh, I I had no soft skills, so sorry, if you ever get to know me. (laughs) Um, And I was, again, on my way to work, and uh, I was really dwelling on this issue. And I, I was like, well, I guess I need to be less blunt. And I heard this voice say to me, did it, did it occur to you this is the way I made you? I said, okay, God, you want me to be blunt. And then my, my mind flashed back to Jeremiah fifty one twenty, And it says, you are my war hammer, weapon of war. With you I break nations in pieces. With you I destroy kingdoms. Now, can anybody tell me what a blunt instrument is? Warhammer. Yep. Mine went poof. <laughs> and uh, I was really, really dwelling on that part. And I took that Bible verse next day, printed it out, put it over my desk, and I proclaimed it. And I said, I am not going to do what men want me to do. I work I'll work on my soft skills, yes. But I will be blunt in God's truth, and I will speak truth to all men in God's word. And uh, that's when things really start to get really weird, because um, I actually had a went into a kind of a tizzy at work with a couple, another supervisor and a foreman, and uh, the Lord, had Lord, given me the solution to that, and I literally said now uh, the supervisor said to me he goes you know that's what happens when you're calm i said no that's what happens when god speaks to me I spoke truth i proclaimed it right there and then and he, said, he i think he turned white but but i you know it's funny cuz we we really need to be what god wants us to be and uh so about a week ago i was this this is the part where it gets really difficult for me because when the Lord works on your heart, he really works on ways that it really makes you see things, but we get in our own way. We really do. Our misconceptions get in the way, and we just tend to shut ourselves down. Um, I had, uh, I was trying to work, I've been remodeling my house, and I was really trying to get on working on my uh, kitchen. And if you ever try to work on a kitchen with five kids, God bless you, while your wife 's working, so I'm pull my Bible up. I have about five minutes to do this because it's it 's almost lunch time. I got kids running around. I said to her, Lord, what should I read today and again um, I'd the i 'd ask Lord, why should I read again? when it was jeremiah fifty one really got to be careful when I do this because he gave me x twenty six sixteen and this is <laughs> It was really um, weird. And he goes, But arise and stand stand upon your feet. And I was standing at the kitchen table. For I appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a minister and a witness to the things in which you have seen and to those which I will appear to you. And I just started to melt. I'm like, I was like, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't even want to be in ministry. So I'm good to come to church every day and sit in the back. I'm happy with that. And the Lord just really started to tear me up. And, I, and for a week straight, I had like a thunderstorm over my head. Really strong thunderstorm. And uh, I had talked to uh, Pastor Penn. He told me I had misconceptions. And you're right, I had misconceptions. Was it uh, Ron here, was here last night? And, um, and so during that, I had gone up for prayer. And I had told him. And he goes, Well, yeah, he, he gave me that same verse. I said, Really? He goes, Yeah. And he goes, Tim, it doesn't mean to point you as a pastor, it points you to be as a, a minister, to witness to other people. And he goes, Do you witness? I said, Yeah, I witnessed. You know, all, all my all the guys I work with know I'm very um, open with my face, my faith. And uh he goes, well, you're doing already. And somebody had just took the blanket off my eyes. And the, the, the reality that I had come to was that I had never, when we're, when we're Christians and we, we, we walk by faith, we talk by faith, you're in ministry. You're in ministry right now, you know. Whether you like it or not, and that was the, probably the, the biggest. I walked out of here out of breath. My chest literally hurt. I was like, Whoa, what just happened? And I, I, I felt so stupid, you know, and humbled and going, okay, I got it. You know, um, it just, you know, the, the misconceptions that we have in our life, when it comes to certain things, for what the Lord wants from us, we really can hinder ourselves. And we don't want... Guys, we don't want to do that. We really don't. Um, But the biggest thing I have learned after that was I need to submit. I have to submit my will, everything to the Lord. Um if I am truly his weapon of war, because it really kind of dawned on me, well, who doesn't want me to be this weapon of war? Satan, the devil, okay? Well, then we really need to, I I need to submit. um, I don't know if it's been 15 minutes or not, but. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Nine minutes, right. okay. And I, you know, I submitted to the Lord coming back to church, even though I did not want to do it. And he showed, and you know, he showed me that truth that I had failed. You know, and it was funny because there was a ladies' night we had up here after that uh, Jeremiah fifty-one twenty. And that some of the ladies were talking about the Holy Spirit had revealed to them what the Holy Spirit wanted them to be. And my mouth literally hit the hit the bottom of the floor. And everything was just being confirmed, confirmed, confirmed. And I was like, well, there are no coincidence. You know, there is really no coincidence. Again, and I'm, I'm going to probably cut this a little short, but... The biggest truth I have really learned, like I said, is submit. And trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, Not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your paths straight. So, again, that verse ties in with, for I know the plans I have for you. Because if you're not doing what he wants, then God's plans are, will never, what he truly has for you, his purpose for you. And again, and submit to God and be at peace with him. And, his, and this way, prosperity will come to you. And after I had submitted, I said, okay, I'll do it. Do whatever you want me to do. You know, it's funny because it was, it was like this thunderstorm had stopped. Like you had this intense thunderstorm over my head. But it wasn't raining. All of a sudden, I just felt like it was started to rain. And it was just like weird. It's... it's oh, it was probably the, the closest I've ever been to God in the course of two weeks. Yeah, I got tore up really, 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 really hard. But I would do it again. I really would because I have never, I was literally having conversations with the Lord like I was talking to my wife or, or, or a buddy. And I, the, the funny thing was I was literally complaining to the Lord and I had turned on, my radio to clear my head. It was on Family Life Network, and the pastor was speaking about complaining. And he said, Stop complaining. I, and and I, looked, I, I turned my radio off. I, said, I got it. I got it. I got it. So, uh, again, I'm going to end here, and um, I'm, you guys need to submit to the will of the Lord because he, knows, he has our plans in our best future. Not what we think, but what we can't see. So, so.
0: That wow. We all have misconceptions, especially if we have a, a bias against something, like going to church, then you find out that it's, it's exactly what you need and better than you thought, or you're called to do something, and you submit to it, and you find out it wasn't anything like you had imagined it to be. A lot of things are that way. I think the enemy prejudice our hearts against the will of God so often. Uh, watch what you hate and watch what you have an aversion to. Uh, you might find that the enemy's been playing with your head and creating misconceptions about the will of God. Well, Tim, I didn't know whether to set you free and let you go first or me go first because now I'm going to teach i on preaching but it's not a critique of anything. It's in my notes, and so it's not a critique of anything, so don't take anything by it at all. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And um, this verse came alive to me out of what's called my hammock Bible. It's a Phillips New New Testament, Phillips translation. This is the same verse in the Phillips translation that that made it different for me, impacted me differently. Listen to this. Through the grace of God, we have different gifts. If our gift is preaching, let us preach to the limit of our vision. If it is serving others, let us concentrate on our service. If it is teaching, let us give all we have to our teaching. If our gift is stimulating the faith of others, let us set ourselves to it. Let the man who is called to give, give freely. Let the man who wields authority think of his responsibility. Let the man who uh, feels sympathy for his fellows act cheerfully. And the whole idea here that stuck out is the idea of giving ourselves to it. So if you feel a call to do something, whether it's missions or uh, teaching or uh, the uh, prophecy or whatever it is that you feel like God's stirring up, healing, whatever, you have to give yourself to it. You have to really focus on it. It won't just happen by happenstance you have to apply yourself to it that means you read books along that subject that means you go to conferences you get you get online and see what you can study of course you go through scripture and you find uh, examples of it in scripture and so for those who want to preach the best way to do it is to is to really give yourself to it practice Uh, Jimmy Swagger was a great preacher back in the 80s and he would preach to to stumps out in the swamps he'd be like a whole swamp filled with stumps and he treated them as if as if they're pre- people and he's out there preaching david sang some of his best songs probably sang psalm 23 the very first time to sheep not to people just you have to give yourself to it it won't just happen you have to apply yourself and uh, be constantly giving yourself to it um uh, Spurgeon, who went into the pulpit the first time as a teenager, he was uh, a teenager of the world's largest church, nothing like I had ever seen, been seen before. And and he told uh, his students that you need to be constantly foraging for the pulpit. What he means by foraging is the, if you're uh, on a survival you know, on an island or in a wilderness, you're always foraging for food. You're always looking for food. He says in the same way, you have to forage for the pulpit. You have to be constantly looking for things and say, someday that's gonna be useful. And um, we had a, a company in our town that made binders, and I would go in there and buy a case of binders and then reams of paper, and I would just write out everything that came to my mind, everything that could preach, every story I heard, everything I read, and I would just write out. In fact, I just went out to uh, Yuri's uh, fire pit just a couple weeks ago and just burned piles of old binders that had gotten moldy, and I had taken all the notes that were in it and transferred it into my first computer, and I've been doing that ever since. But just bind, it's just boxes of binders of notes, uh, where I would just constantly take anything that come to my mind. And I I wasn't a particularly disciplined person or a good writer or anything like that. I just wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep track of it. And so part of of what I felt God was stirring up in me is anything that spoke to me, I would have to be a steward of it, write it out, keep track of it. That includes jokes you hear. Illustrations, humor stories, a quote, a tweet, something that sticks, something that hits you. And, and after you've, a couple of days later, you're still thinking about it. That's the kind of stuff to write down. Uh, if it impacts you and you get, get your wheels turning, that's the kind of stuff to file away. In Proverbs chapter 24, if you'd like to go there, Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 30, you see something powerful in this. Proverb. Here's what, here's what Solomon wrote. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. We can do that here in this area because there's lots of those fields and vineyards. And the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding says, there was all overgrown with thorns, nettles, Its surface was covered in nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it. I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. And here's the instruction. And what he does is he makes a Proverbs. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So, so he's just walking. He's just walking through life, sees a wall that's all fallen down, sees a field that's covered with nettles, sees a vineyard that could be productive but it's covered with thorns and weeds. And he looks at it and he considers it. He just stands there and he starts thinking about it. And as he's thinking about it, he received instruction or correction not for him just but for life for for us or for someone that he was going to teach he received this instruction and he turned it into a proverb a little sleep a little slumber Jesus must have done that all the time I would say Jesus must have done that like every day growing up because the little sayings that he said and the little pictures uh, just even the whole story of, of of a man sowing seed in a field and his neighbor coming in at night, he must have caught something of that and got thinking about it as he considered it. And it's as you consider it that it works its way down in your heart and becomes part of you. And then it's those very things that you see that get turned into a proverb or an illustration or a tweet. And... My mind's filled with that stuff all the time. I'm creating jokes. I'm creating uh, uh, little tweetable sayings. Um, it sounds funny that someone makes up jokes. I I laugh my head off sometimes, and it's just me. And, uh, and then I write it down because, well, and then I practice it. And I'll sit around with a bunch of guys, and I'll just kind of throw that out there to see what happens with it. Because all of that, it's not jokes, all of that is communication. All of that is is part of what I need to do in order to communicate truth. It's part of being who I am as a teacher. And I don't think you can really teach other people in an interesting manner, in a manner that sticks in a manner that makes them think, in a manner that changes them, unless it first does something in us, unless it's first convicting and working and challenging ourselves. And so the idea is everything you see as you go through life, you're looking for the mercy. Well, I, as I started looking for the mercy, I saw it in fender benders. I saw it in, in how a, a, a waitress treated me. I just, I've, I just saw it in everything. And, and so what happens is you kind of get an eye for concepts and you get an eye for truths and and in a sense you're giving yourself to your gift and then it really takes off it really it becomes uh meaningful to other people when you stand up and share it if you don't give yourself to it here's the alternative and this happens every Sunday all across America a pastor gets up in a pulpit, and he shares a sermon that someone else wrote that he got offline because he didn't take time to come up with a sermon, and he preaches some canned thing that that tastes as good as some canned some canned vegetable. You know, it's just not the same. It's just not the same, but they still have to teach. It's just... It has no life in it, it has no nutrition in it, it has no power in it, it doesn't change anybody, it just fulfills the obligation of having to teach. I think the key to it is what Solomon did. Solomon just walked through life, and everything he saw, he looked at it and said, well, what can I, what, what can we do with this? What, how would this speak? How could I use this? And I think that's the way to go through it, that's the way to give yourself to it. Um... A proverb is an illustration and it's a way of uh, packaging a truth to make it stick like a bird to someone's brain. Uh, Illustrations are powerful. Most uh, effective sermons are made up of illustrations. Jesus, most of his sermons were illustrations that he set out there. Um, It has to be something people can relate to. The best ones come from your own life, from your own life experience. It's not, a, it's not enough to get a book on illustrations and try to memorize them and put them out. It has to do with you, your life is full of it. You just have to see it differently. Um, so don't just get a book of illustrations. It, it's best to say, what happened this week that, that is interesting? And as your wheels turn, you start thinking about it. It, it. it presents a truth. So it's not a joke for joke's sake. It's not an illustration for an illustration's sake. It has to have a truth that impacts people, that uh, convicts people. Uh, John Wimber was one of my favorite speakers. And I remember one time, he, w- he said that, uh, he said when he was a newlywed, he and his wife were trying to furnish their apartment. And he says they came across this couch. And the couch, they just loved this couch. Uh, they called it a Chesterfield. And they took it home, and it didn't fit in their apartment. In fact, it was so big, they couldn't close their apartment door. The, ch- the couch stuck out in the hallway. They couldn't close the apartment door. But they loved that couch so much that they could never get rid of it. And I think we can love an illustration or a story or a concept so much. It doesn't fit, doesn't apply, doesn't, isn't really useful. But we love it so much We just try to use it all the time. I think another thing that's important is this whole thing of personal authority. We read this morning where uh, Jesus sat down, opened his mouth uh, on the the Mount of the Beatitudes. He sat down and began teaching the people. And three chapters of red ink came pouring out of him. Probably some of the most beautiful words ever formed. Better than anything Shakespeare wrote. Life-giving truths. And he poured it out, and then at the end of it, chapter seven, the very last couple of verses, 28 and 29, I believe, it said that the people were astonished at his teaching. And it said they they recognized that he had authority, and he said things with authority that the, the scribes, the, the other teachers, never had. And I think that's what you want. You want authority. And authority means that it comes out of your life experience and you have you have the right to say that, uh, you have a relationship with that concept because it 's something that 's part of you. You have an authority to say that. The scribes never did that. i've heard so much uh, preaching through the years that had no authority the person didn 't have the authority to say it it didn't it didn 't have the uh, didn 't the them and the the concept didn 't match uh, Bill Johnson has authority to say things probably bill johnson 's probably the most influential preacher in the world, I would say in terms of people who follow and subscribe to what he's teaching. He has authority to say things that we don't. So if you take something that you heard him say that you loved, that couch, that Chesterfield, and you try to work a sermon around it, it's like saying, Lord, i got a really good joke. Give me a sermon to go with it. <laughs> i got this great illustration. I heard that Bill Johnson said, and I, you know, I'm going to work that in, and it becomes a, a couch at Chesterfield. But Bill Johnson can say things and can say things in a certain manner that you can love and be impacted by. Then you go and you imitate that and you put that out there as if it came from you. Not even saying that it came from Bill Johnson. It will never have the same effect because it doesn't have the same authority. Bill can say things that you can't say. He has a way of saying things that you don't, that that comes with time, it comes with experience. It's personal authority. Jesus, uh, not because he had preached very much. In fact, I, I don't know, I don't know uh, exactly how to substantiate it. I don't think he preached very much before Matthew chapter 5, before that Sermon on the Mount. I don't think he preached all that much. I don't think you have to have lots of years of preaching in order to be a good preacher. Uh, when I was growing up as a young disciple in the church, my pastor would never let me preach he would never invite me to preach he would never have an opportunity like this where we'd let someone come up and someone we don't know all that well to come up and share that just would never happen i think every now and again he'd throw me a mother's day sermon just say preach on mother cuz nobody i mean what are you going to say on mother's day that hasn't already been said i mean it's a it's nobody wants to preach mother's day year after year because it's the same same kind of message but i just didn't have any opportunity to preach and then I became a pastor. And immediately I could step right in and do it, not because I had so much experience, but because I had so much life experience. I had given myself to my gift. And people come up different times. And I was just a young, green pastor. And they said, boy, where did you, where did you learn to preach? And I had to, I had to think about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't have much opportunity to practice. It doesn't come from doing it that way. I guess I honed my gift in conversations. I honed my gift preaching to stumps, preaching to the kids, preaching to Heather. I don't think it needs to all happen with opportunity, although that's good. I don't think Jesus preached a lot. I think he went out there in his personal authority, his own moral authority. You watch Jesus and he starts correcting people and he starts speaking to the Pharisees. They're like the denominational leadership and he's calling them things and saying things about them to their face. Well, he could do that because he had the moral authority. He wasn't doing what they were doing. He was outside the system. He had moral authority. And I think, I think um, sometimes when people get up and they get an opportunity to preach, they start correcting and, and trying to change the direction of the church and trying to uh, say things to people that they don't have the moral authority to do. They don't have the power to change In those areas themselves, they haven't really wrestled with that. They haven't really conquered that. They don't have the relationship authority. There's a certain authority that comes with relationship, that comes with contact. I remember one guy saying, boy, I'm I'm so glad you came to my house recently. He says, now when I hear you preach, I hear you preach entirely differently. All i done is visited his house, but it gave me some kind of authority. When I got in the pulpit, he heard me differently. It comes out of contact, personal contact. So Tim, as he goes in this whole thing, he'll be able to say things more bluntly the more he gets to relate with us and camps out with us and spends time with us. He can be used as a hammer. Sometimes you need a hammer. But if, if the hammer is all you have, is if that's the only tool, you can't fix everything with a hammer. Uh, I remember Jeremy Yoder, he used a chainsaw for his work, and so he just fixed everything with his chainsaw. If something needed to be fixed, he just whipped out the chainsaw, because he it was a one-tool kind of guy. Um, I think we need hammers in the church. I think there's a place for that, but it has to be coming out of a relationship. You say, I will hear you because I know you. I know something of your heart. We've spent time together. We had contact. Our kids were in the same program. We went through that together. We spent time over... over uh, over years together, and it creates authority to be able to say things that you would otherwise not have. So what we're asking, when people uh, come to teach, you're welcome to use something that someone else said, even an illustration or something. But you have to give credit to where credit is due. You have to say, I, I happen to be listening to a podcast recently. I heard so-and-so said this. It really struck me. And, and, and you give credit to it. That way, um, you're building a different kind of authority. You're not saying, this is, this is my original idea and I want to wow you with it. You're saying, well, I was wowed and I got it from this source. And you don't lose credibility by doing that. You actually gain credibility. So you're free to do that kind of thing, but you have to give credit to where credit is due. The other thing we've asked people to do who want to teach, especially our pastors, our, our pastoral team, uh, we've laid this out before, um, there's a three-month rule, so every every week it seems like there's a new truth coming down the pike. There's something that you know uh, is being presented uh, on Facebook or presented in on, in the media, social media somewhere. It's like the latest truth. I hear them, not maybe not every week, but it seems like it. there's a whole new concept that's supposed to uh, we're, we're all supposed to embrace. We're all supposed to take it. And uh, I had a pastor who did that. He got the latest book or latest truth at a conference, and he'd come home and teach it. And, and it wasn't his. And he never gave credit to where credit was due. He took, set it as if it was his own. Then a few weeks later, there'd be another book that would counteract what was taught in that first book because it hadn't had a chance to get adjusted yet. So he'd have to get up a few weeks later and, and reteach from a totally different perspective what he had just taught saying this is what god is saying and now he's saying the opposite because it's just coming out of the latest book so the way to stop uh, losing authority losing credibility and not being jerked around and trying to jerk the congregation around is don't teach something that you hear uh, that's newly being you know an emerging truth you don't teach that right away let it settle let it work a work in you. Let it see what, how it sets with you over a period of time. See what it does with your thinking. See what it does with your devotional life. See what it does with how you handle the word. Then after three months, you can actually say, you know, uh, I, I heard this. It impacted me. It's been studying in my heart for some time. I'd like to share it with you. And um, I think there's something that happens to us. It's kind of like journalism where we it has to be the hottest news. It has to be the latest thing. You have to be the first to have said it or the first to say amen to it. There's a kind of pressure to get out there and be really current, really relevant, uh, be the first to say it. And and people get tripped up by that. So I think the whole idea of saying, boy, I really would like to teach it, but I'm going to sit on it for a few months and just let it be. Just let it let the dust settle on that. Let it permeate, uh, permeate in my heart. Let it marinate in my heart and see what happens with it. Then after that, you can actually share it because it's, it's work to work in you. You won't lose credibility. You won't lose your personal authority because you taught something too quickly, too soon. We stress when it comes to preaching on having the right words and uh, there's a real emphasis on having the right phraseology, having the right, you know, the right verse, of course, and and uh, saying things uh, um, in an interesting manner. And And we forget that a lot of what's said isn't words. A lot of what's communicated is beyond words, where you can find out that the person, you're hearing their passion for the Lord, you're hearing their passion for the Bible, you're hearing... Uh, their love for the church, their love for the body. There's a lot of stuff that's communicated beyond the words. We get so focused on making sure our sentences are complete and all in a row. When I listen back to my sermon sometimes, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed with the phrases I use and how well I put together sentences. I, I don't feel I do a very good job with that. But uh, I'm always surprised at what's communicated, that something is caught by the people that stirs their hearts, that says amen to it. And I realize it wasn't my clever preaching. It wasn't the words. There's something else that's communicated. And and that has to do with relationship. It has to do with uh, how we relate to the Lord. Uh, so there's something that's c- called beyond words. And... Uh, uh, there's a verse in, in uh, Mark. Uh, let see if I have it here in my notes. Uh, sorry. Uh, I don't see it. There's a verse in Mark. Well, it's Mark 16, where Jesus said that... Uh, that he'd go wherever they're going. And as they preached the gospel, he would work with them. And uh, as they preached the word, he'd confirm the word with signs following. So it's the very last part of Mark 16. And we want God to work with our words. We want us to be able to give a message out there. We want him to work something in the hearts of people on the other side of it. And, And what he confirms is the word. And it's not just... Uh, the literal word, and it's not just the, uh, um, uh, the phraseology we, we use, it's, it's actually uh, uh, the word logos, which is an expression. And if our heart is in sync with Jesus' own heart and we're expressing what he would say, the way he would say it, Jesus is listening, he says, I'll work with that. I'll confirm that. Your heart and my heart are one. Your motives and my motives are one. Your mind and my mind are one. And so Jesus is under no obligation to confirm our sermons he doesn't have to do any wonders, any signs, any, any miracles. He doesn't have to change hearts. He's not committed to doing any of that just because it's a sermon. But if you preach a sermon, even if it's not a complete sermon, even if it doesn't fire on all of its cylinders, but you've tapped into his heart and you're trying to communicate his heart, he then says, What I'll do is because I confirm the word, the Logos, the expression of your heart. I will work with that and I'll actually go behind it. I'll do something in the people's hearts. There'll be a transformation that'll take place. It'll, it'll impact their life. Otherwise, it's just preaching. Otherwise, it's preaching with no effect. It's preaching and no one's lives gets changed. It's going through the motion, it's filling the clock, it's filling the duty, but no one's life has changed. You can't do that for very long and after you shake your head and say, I just can't do that. The, There's too much wear and tear in my soul. It's too much effort to get out there and to give a sermon that that just goes out and falls to the ground. No one remembers it. No one's life has changed. No one's impacted. You can't do that for long without quitting. But here's what Jesus said. It says, wherever they went, they preached the gospel, and Jesus went with them. So that means he's listening. He's listening to the sermon here tonight. Jesus is listening to the sermon. And he's under no obligation to do anything with it unless my heart is in sync with his heart. He confirms the expression. He he confirms the motive. He confirms with power what's what's in his word. Uh, It's possible for two people to get up and say the exact same scripture text. And one of them say it, And nothing happened, and the other one get up and he can say it, next thing you know, all heaven's breaking loose, people are being impacted by it, and you look at it and you say they both said the same verse. How come one had one effect and the other had a negative effect or no effect? And it's Jesus. It's Jesus confirming the word. We want him to do that with songs. Everything I'm teaching here tonight is true of worship leaders, It's true of those who lead worship or or those who pray or prayer meetings or the prophecy. If the prophecy, you can have a prophecy that sounds like prophecy, but it doesn't really contain his heart. He's under no obligation to make that stick in that person's life. He can actually stand back and say, I'll just let that one go by because it doesn't sound like me. It doesn't feel like me. It doesn't contain my heart. He's under no obligation to commit to it. One time there was a, a great orator. And this was at a time, you know, there's pre-television, pre-internet. Uh, and people would pack uh, halls and and saloons and, and uh, opera theaters, every town had, a, uh, had an opera theater. And someone would get up who is an orator And all they would do is stand like I'm standing, and they'd quote Shakespeare. They'd quote, you know, something from Homer. And and people would pay money to go and just hear some orator uh, speak words. I mean, it it was high entertainment. And so there was this one particular guy. He was a great orator, had the voice, had the presence, was very commanding. And he'd get up there, and he would just quote Shakespeare. He'd lay out stuff, and people would applaud. They loved it. Well, every now and again, he'd sprinkle his uh, um, orator or oration, I guess it'd be oration. He'd sprinkle some scripture in there. And he found that the number one favorite, the thing that people really loved, was Psalm 23. So he'd get up and he'd say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he would go through it with great orator skill he'd get up there and and the people would applaud they just loved it and after one time uh where he'd done that in a particular city he was leaving and as he's going he's, he saw a church with the doors open maybe in the summertime and he slipped in a back pew to hear what the preacher had to say and the old preacher was up there and, and And he got up there, and he was saying, "The Lord is my shepherd," and he quoted psalm twenty three When he finished the psalm, people were erect, people were crying, they were waving handkerchiefs, people were moved, they were stirred. The orator saw this, and he he marveled at it. He just absolutely marveled at it. That man could get up there so simply, with no flair, with no uh, quiver in his voice. He could just get up there and just quote that psalm, and the people melted. The people cried. The people gave glory to God. And he got thinking about it, and he talked to the old preacher about it. He says, I I also quote Psalm 23 in my orations. He said, when I'm done, they applaud. When you're done, they weep. He said, what could possibly be the difference? He said, I don't know. Maybe it's this. You know the psalm. I know the shepherd. There's something about knowing his heart. There's something about his heart, in the matter. And I think it's, it's less about words. It's less about dictation. It's less about having proper sentence structure. It's less about uh, having a nice, tidy sermon all written out that really flows. I think at the heart of the matter, what's in your heart? What, what, what moves you? If it moves you and Jesus was the one that stirred your heart with it, it's possible he'll work on the other end of it. And then when you examine that sermon, you say, you know, the sermon, I didn't even complete that thought. and This here didn't quite work. And this here wasn't half-baked. But God used it. People were stirred. People were transformed. Jesus just says, well, what I confirm is the word, the logos, the heart. The heart, the expression of what's in your heart. That's what really matters to him. And so I want, I want you to preach. I want you to be effective. I think one way to be effective is to be disciplined, to be constantly foraging for the pulpit, turning everything that happens to you. I, I think, if you listen to me preach, I preach embarrassing stuff. I preach my failures, my faults, my weaknesses. I, I think everything is useful I, uh, I'm i not even embarrassed anymore when stuff happens because I think, well, uh, at least I can preach that. That'll, that'll help somebody out someday, somewhere. It's all useful. Everything that happens to you is useful in the hands of God. And if you're a preacher, if you're going to exhort people, an exhorter is different than, there's a preacher, a teacher, an, exor, uh, an exhorter in that Romans 12 chapter. Uh, a preacher we think of as someone who's loud and, uh, really, is dramatic, pacing the floor, sweating. A teacher is like a guy who stands still one spot and quiet, soft-spoken. And an exhorter, we're not even sure what that is. Maybe someone who's not paid to do it or something. I think it's different. I think I think a I think a teacher is to t- train and equip and shape people. Uh, the word teacher is mind engraver. That's the best definition of a teacher. You're engraving their mind with stuff. An orator, the best orators, I, 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 we had a guy one time who wasn't a very good speaker. But what he could do that was better than anybody, he could summarize what the Spirit had been saying in the meeting. He'd take a prophecy like Nelson's, and he'd take a song uh, like Rodney led into, or, and he'd take that, and he'd take something that come out of the prayer, and he'd take the meat of the message, and he would replay it to the, to the people in a short, brief, impacting exhortation that would move them to change. it moved them to action. They'd say, we're in, we'll do it, we'll do it. Because he could summarize what the Spirit was saying. I think that's an exhorter. Someone who can move people with a, with a minimum amount of words and gets up and just says, here's what the Spirit's saying, and you say, sign me up, I'm all in. I want to do it. That's an exhorter. A preacher, I don't, I preach from time to time. Probably none of you have seen me preach before. When you preach, it's different. It's not volume. It's not loud. It's, you, you're just, um, uh, you're after something. You go after something. Uh, most preaching that is the most effective preaching is in public. It's not the work of an evangelist. It's somehow, it's, it's, it's uh, impacting people with truth Uh, like a like a sledgehammer uh, like a jackhammer but it's it's different it's not rapid fire necessarily it's not all perspiration but if somehow it's publicly getting the public to move in a certain direction there's negative preachers there's positive preachers uh, and you have to figure out what you are what are you are you an exhorter are you a teacher I can tell who the teachers are because they teach. Whether you sit down and have a cup of coffee with them, they're telling you illustrations. They're telling you something the Lord said. They're presenting it. They're, They're creating concepts while they're having coffee with you. You can tell what comes out of their heart. They can't stop teaching. Are you an exhorter? Are you a preacher? I think the day will come we'll see preachers come back in vogue like never before. We will go out in public and, and not work as an evangelist so much as a public proclaimer. Paul said, I'm a preacher and a teacher. I lie not. Uh, he's an apostle, but he's a preacher and a teacher. And I think the difference is the context where he does it. There's a public arena. There's a private teaching from house to house to people who've already bought the preacher. They've already bought what the preacher had to sell. And now they need to be taught. Now they need to be engraved. I think it's two different kinds of tools. Give that some thought. Amen? I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I want you to try it. Emily, I wish you were standing around another week or two. We'd put you up here and let you, I bet you got some stuff under the hood to share. Let's give ourselves to it, whatever it is. Gift of giving, give yourself to it. Prophecy, give yourself to it. Let's do it, okay? Let's stand together. Not as a sign of commitment to me that, that I'll keep track of, but how many would be willing to preach, or teach, or exhort in these Sunday night meetings a little bit more? Can I see a hand? I see your hand. Put it up again. Alan, really? Good man. All right. Good, 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 good. want we'll to see that happen. Come and see me. We'll, give you a, we'll find a, a, a slot for you where we can have you come up and try it. So Jonah, I didn't see your hand. Did you put your hand up, son? I love what you shared at your baptism. I'll never forget that. That was powerful. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace, for an abundance of grace. Thank you for gracing us. Help us to figure out what our gift is. You spoke to Tim about being a hammer and there's a time we need a hammer and nothing else will do. Or we need hammers. We need all the gifts. We need the whole toolbox. Father, I pray that you'd open up an amazing toolbox in this place that shapes people, that transforms people, that fixes people. Somehow, Lord, we don't know how, but somehow it would spill out into the streets of Penyan. It would have impact this village, impact this region. Use us, train us, equip us. We know you don't ram it down our throats. We know you don't twist our arm. We're asking it help us to see it so we can give ourselves to it and be effective for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.